Welcome and a very pleasant good afternoon to you wherever you may be. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. My name is Chris Camacho and I'll be your host this evening from the best seat in the house here at V89 alongside a very talented panel to give you the best and hottest takes on sports radio this side of FSU's campus. And we're so glad to have you here with us today. I'm excited to be back hosting the show today. Uh, of course, this wouldn't be possible without the the, the gracious step down of, of Nicholas Carlisle. <laughs> Thank you again, buddy, for giving me another another shot here. Uh, Nick. Yeah. Of course it was. It was a... Very, you're you're one of our favorite baseball fans here at the state at the oh, station. Man. A very a very avid fan. fan that you can find <laughs> right, anywhere. of course. And it was it was a big big baseball weekend for you. About what did we say? 15, 16 hours of baseball for you. Chris, I have done the math. I have got like done all the calculations, and we have maxed out at about fifteen hours of constant baseball. Is that right? Friday, Saturday, <laughs> and Sunday. Now I think I am covered for about the rest of the year, maybe two years out uh little, little hard as a sports journalist li- don't you think well <laughs> it's not exactly my choice is it well that's true that is very true brett rutherford returns to the show making his hat trick appearance and a star defender for the im soccer team not last place listen it was a, it, was a, it was a great night uh for im soccer last night our good friend uh tyler here at the station uh, may have not had the best time as we went up Against his team, uh, put 11 goals past him. Um, but it was all in good fun. Hope Tyler uh, will forgive me in due time. Uh, as he flips but, a yeah, certain no, finger. No, fun night last night out of the uh, recplex. So, Brett, as, as a Rays fan, I'm curious where you think, because the Rays, of course, pioneered this idea of, of an opening pitcher, which is essentially where you have a guy who's typically a relief pitcher, pitching the first three innings. Um, where do you think that's going to go? How do you think that's going to affect the uh, league this coming season? I mean, I mean, it was it worked perfectly last season. Uh, at, at the beginning, I was a little skeptical, but they sold me on it. And uh, this year, I think they're going to keep implementing it and uh, hopefully, hopefully improve on the ninety wins they they pulled off last season. That'd be great, absolutely. And of course, the prodigal daughter <laughs> makes her return to Tomahawk Talk. Catherine Wright back on the show as always. Lovely to have you here with us. Cat, <laughs> the Atlanta Braves all reported to Sarasota today. Very mm-hmm. exciting news, of course. Kissimmee. Is it Kissimmee? Mm-hmm. Worldwide thought... Sports. Gotcha. Oh, that's right. That would make sense. But are they? I think they're building a new complex in Sarasota. Oh, okay. See, okay. Yeah. That's see, right. Okay. See, yeah. that's that's, that's maybe what I read. But of course, you've got guys reporting. They're like like the for, like the recent. National League Rookie of the Year, mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna Jr. And after finishing atop the NL East, I'm curious, where do you think they'll finish up this season? Um, honestly, I mean, honestly, I'd love to see them at the top again as a as a fan. But um, in terms, always looking scary. I know. In terms of uh, paper, um, what I'm looking at, and the trades that have gone on, and free agents, and what's gone on in free free agency, for sure, think the Phillies and the Mets. I think the Mets are, are, you know, as long as they stay healthy, I totally think the Mets can can take it home. Can take um, it home. Oh. Yeah. So you're yeah. saying there's a negative percent chance that the Marlins do anything this season? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we we should maybe you want to talk about the record? You want to estimate a record Look, that they might end up with? That's not my call to make. <laughs> <laughs> if Gary if Gary were here, I think we know what oh, he yikes. would say. In Jeets we trust, and I'm I'm just keeping quiet on it. It's not my forte. <laughs> Big show we've got for you today. Of course, uh, we didn't have a show last week. With that being said, that's 
That's two weeks of Florida State sports to catch up on. However, this past weekend, it was a great time to be a Florida State fan. Uh, as If I'm not mistaken, Seminole Athletics went 13-0. and That is correct. 13-0. and And that's across baseball, softball, men's and women's basketball, and tennis. Mm-hmm. A fantastic time here in Tallahassee. We're all celebrating. Of course, Tallahassee itself is a very proud town, very proud to be Florida State Seminoles here. But first, I want to start uh, with our now number 16 men's basketball team, who, and I think in the past two weeks, the most significant win we can talk about uh, would be the Louisville win, which was, if I'm not about two, about two Wednesdays ago, a really big. I think, if not, if I'm not mistaken, a, a big morale booster for a team looking to make a strong run, especially go. They've faced such a tough schedule, especially this late um, in the season, and it, I think it showed in the last two wins coming uh, uh, that that just happened this past week against Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. Two very different wins in and of themselves. Um, I want to start with our with our Wake Forest game uh, again. Big show, so we're kind of running through this a little bit. But uh, Wake Forest, actually, funny enough, with these last two wins, both were won by a deficit of 22 points. Um, the score for Wake Forest was 88 to 86. Um, big offensive showing, as I said. Chris Kumaji, I mean, talk about a big a big game for a big guy. Um, he scored 20 points and 12 boards. And I'm just curious, where, c- considering the pr- the production we've seen out of a guy like Fiondu Cabangeli, this was a great time for him to re- to rest. Does does his production the last two games does that now put him in a discussion of continuing his starting role? Are we are we are we speaking of Kamaji of fi- Kamaji, still being yes. a starter? Well, I think he's going to be the starter for the rest of the way, just no matter how you slice it. I think Cabangeli just has this spark plug mentality the spark plug aura around him that really Leonard Hamilton has been taking advantage of all season and I think it would be a, a huge mistake for Hamilton to just go ahead and eliminate that and I don't think that there's an attitude problem with Kevin Gelly coming off the bench I think at this point in the season it, it's no matter whether he's starting if he has to or whether he's coming off the bench I think Kevin Gelly understands what he has or what he is rather as a player I think he understands what he brings to this basketball team and I think if Chris Kamaji is playing the way that he's been playing the past week or so I mean that's all the better for Florida State absolutely and Brett you and I were talking before the show just talking about how how I think important uh, these last two games were in in terms of rest for a guy like Kevin Gelly yeah I know there you know Leonard Hamilton's been running a deep rotation the entire season uh, I think the last time I was on the show I dished out a take saying that if Kevin Gelly wasn't in the starting five soon uh, that I would start doubting Leonard Hamilton's ability to lead this team uh, but Chris Kamaji and the rest of the team have really proved me wrong he's really stepped up in these last two games um, obviously the Wake Forest game was probably his best game ever in a Florida State uniform sure. Um, and and given that given Kevin Gelly the opportunity to rest, still come off the bench, provide a little bit of that energy, uh, has really been a huge boost for this team. Absolutely, Kat. I, I spoke earlier about the about how different these two games were against uh, Wake Forest and Georgia Tech, um, and especially in a guy like PJ Savoy mm-hmm. against Wake Forest, he was three for four from beyond the arc, uh, and then just got dead cold against Georgia Tech. If I'm not mistaken, he was one for six. These are two. These are two stories of two very different PJ Savoys, and I'm just curious what you think. How how important is his production from beyond the arc, and and, and just the offensive production in general? How important is that uh, going forward for this team? Yeah, well, 
I mean, PJ Savoy, his big nickname uh, in, in FSU, in the FSU fan world is 3J Savoy. So, <laughs> I mean, I think his production in the offense is, is crucial. Um, but to to not to not answer your question, but to go back on the Chris Kumaji and Fiondo Cabangeli point is that Trent Forrest was a big um, spark for Florida State last season, especially at the end of the season Absolutely. and especially in the postseason. And L- Leonard Hamilton knows what he's doing. Fiondu is in a similar role, mm-hmm. um, and he's able to pick up the team and put them on their uh, put them on his shoulders and you know score 18, 20 points a game to lift them over their opponents. So I mean, I I you know your take. Do you, do you take your take back? I, I take my take back, and I, I just want that to be known live okay. on air. I think I think this team is in a much different place than they were when I when I gave that take uh, last time I was on the show. Um, I might have been uh, a little more negative on this team then than I am now. Well, it's a good time right now to be positive on this team, considering the two matchups that they have coming up this week uh, in Clemson. And UNC, two teams that are not going to be easy to get past. You have a team like Clemson who nearly defeated Louisville. Again, the team that Florida State uh, beat two weeks ago. And it was such a, like, like if I'm not mistaken, it was a one-point loss for Clemson. So close, so competitive. And Clemson has been a team that I think has shown their strength against tough opponents. And Florida State certainly comes into this as as a tough opponent, a team, um, a, a team to beat. And Florida State's going into South Carolina. It, it's going to be a big. The, the, we, these are two big road games, and I'm just curious, Nick, how 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 do you see Florida State coming out of this? Well, whenever you you travel to the Tar Heels, it, it's not a, an easy task to overcome. But there's definitely a lot of momentum with this team right now. I don't think anybody can deny that. I mean, seven straight ACC victories. That's the longest uh, the streak has been since I believe 2012. 2012. And just just to have this team running on all cylinders like it is, Clemson is a team that I have no no I guess worries that Florida State is going to be. Of course, it's 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 possible that'll happen you know you talk about the skid that Florida State had after the Duke the Duke loss uh, and those trap games that they ended up falling in but Clemson is a team that of course does show some fight um, especially when it's it, it's at their or excuse me is it I believe it is at uh, it is at Clemson yeah, it it's is at, at, the, at the little John yeah. so Clemson is definitely a team that is hard to uh, beat at home but they're not the best team out there I think Florida State just has the the danger of overlooking Clemson and I think that's where the danger potentially in a loss might come but as I was saying earlier I don't think that uh, Florida State really is any danger of losing that game past that but of course the big the big game is North Carolina how is Florida State going to overlook or not overlook Clemson and make sure that they go in and and the big question is is how does UNC come out of this rivalry game if I'm not mistaken it's, it's on Wednesday that they play Duke obviously UNC Duke history goes back a long time fantastic basketball if you get a chance to watch it um if unc wins or loses against duke that could very well affect their mentality i'm just curious how how does florida state approach from a mental standpoint this matchup against unc well well, florida state has seen firsthand what coming off of a game against duke can do to your team absolutely we saw them go to pittsburgh and, and and drop a you know you know, have a terrible game on the road. Um, going going to this game in Chapel Hill. They listen. They've got one game at the Little John against Clemson uh, this week, and then this weekend going up to Chapel Hill to play the Tar Heels. They've got two road games. The goal should be for this team to just come out with one win. 
Um, and the way they've played, seven straight wins in the ACC, they've, they've given themselves a little bit of a cushion where they, if they drop a game against the Tar Heels, it's not the end of the world. It's actually it's, it's okay for, for this team, especially uh, with their tournament chances moving forward. Absolutely. Kat, I'm, I'm curious, which team is going to show up? Is this going to be more of a defensive game, you think, from Florida State's end? Or, or do the big guns show up and this is just going to be a high-scoring game that those betting on the, on the under – are maybe going to regret betting on the under. What, for Clemson? For for, uh, for North Carolina. For North Carolina. I think the the Seminoles have a better chance of winning um, at Clemson, and I think that that's where they're going to they're gonna get their one win needed for this road, road trip. But um, I don't know. That, that's a hard one. That's a toss-up for me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and as we said, going into Chapel Hill, it's a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason they're basketball legends. There's gonna be twenty thousand plus people right. there. I mean, it, but but the, the advantage is that they are coming off what's gonna be an emotionally intense game against Duke, the number one team in the nation once again, with the AP poll coming out uh, earlier today. So I, I think Florida State has the opportunity to take two wins on this road trip. I don't, I don't think it'll. I don't think necessarily it'll happen, but there's there's the chance. I mean, the chance will be there for this team. We've seen them perform on the road at Syracuse, at Georgia Tech, they, they've overcome those demons that uh, you know plagued them for the beginning of this season and, and last season. I think regardless of what happens against North Carolina, I think the Louisville win from a couple of weeks ago was going to be bigger no matter what, you know, coming from behind at halftime mm-hmm. to beat uh, a Louisville team that was, uh, regardless of recent circumstances, was <laughs> on a very nice streak of their own. And, Absolutely. you know, regardless of whatever's going to happen at North Carolina, again, I've, I've said it already, I think Clemson's probably a certain – uh, victory. I uh, hope I don't go back to eat my words on that, but <laughs> you know, I, I, you just never really know with this team. With with, with a now lot see of Florida now State see teams. when on the show before the 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 week with the Louisville and Syracuse games, I was said I was extremely scared of Syracuse, and you know Florida State ended up blowing that team out by uh, eighteen points, I believe, and it was a very it was probably one of their more impressive wins on the season, and they, they went on, and then the Louisville game was later that week, and they went two and zero on the week, so you know. Uh, so what you're saying is we eat our words a lot on this show. We, <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> but uh, in, in in a positive world, you know, I th- I think that Florida State definitely has all the momentum, and even if they do end up dropping uh, the game against North Carolina, they they have so many more impressive wins on their resume that I don't think it's anything to worry about at this point. So just a real quick roundtable. I'm curious what we, uh, our predictions for the record coming into next coming out of next week out of this week. Excuse me, starting with Nick. If if uh, Duke ends up beating North Carolina, I think Florida State is going to come out of the week two and zero. I'll take the one and one split. We'll pick up the game uh, at the Little John against Clemson and pro- probably drop a close one in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I'll go one and one too. One and one as well. I uh, I'm going to side with uh, with my co-host here. I'm going to say I'm going to say Florida State comes out of this two and zero. I think it's going to be a tough battle. I can very well see that UNC game being a, a come from behind win, uh, keeping it a close game. And with that, of course, on the other side, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, the other team that plays at the Tucker Center, the women's team, Sue Semrau's team, uh, pulling together a really great win against Pitt. It was a 30-point blowout, 31-point blowout against... 32. 32-point blowout <laughs> against the team, uh, against Pitt. However, they did drop a game, uh, if I'm not mistaken, against Clemson. They did. Um Speaking of that Clemson game, though, you have a, Nikki Akamu with 27 points. I mean, uh, uh, I, we sound like like broken records sometimes. Just the, the, the production from Nikki Akamu from, oh, my goodness, 
uh, Kaya Gillespie. I think just that that offensive presence, even in a loss to Clemson, which is a tough team, but to be able to put up 27 points, which ties her second highest uh, career points uh, scored. Her first was in the season opener against Troy. <clears throat> Nick, I'm just curious, what 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 do what do the last two games? How does that speak to the endurance of this team? Well, the endurance, you know, I, I think is it's shown up a little bit more than it has previously in the year. But what I'm really looking at when it comes to the past two games, you're taking a look at the reality of the situation of what this team is. What, you know, there are going to be some nights when Okomu is going to give all she has. There's going to be some nights when Gillespie gives gives the team all she has, and it's still not going to be enough. And that's the, the part of the, the learning curve, you know, the pushing up the metaphorical boulder up a hill with a young team like this. And, you know, Clemson was a trap game on the road that Florida State had to learn from. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a couple of these losses, especially with a young team every single year. And to to your, your question about the endurance, having a loss like that is going to help more than people think, uh, especially coming back and blowing out a, a, a decent Pittsburgh team. Absolutely. And, and, and Kat, so the past two games, Florida State has scored a lot of points coming off of turnovers. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against Pitt, they had 24, 24 points off of 17 turnovers. And against Clemson, 27 points off of... I Actually, I don't have the number for how many turnovers there were against Clemson. But my point is, how important is it for this young Florida State women's team to be able to capitalize on the mistakes of their opponents? I mean, I think it's always important, no matter what age you are, to capitalize on those... Um, the, the the turnovers and and um yeah so um I think that these these freshmen are very very experienced and I think mentally experienced obviously they've only been in college basketball for a few months but um (laughs) I know the SID um he told me a really cool stat uh the four active freshmen currently um were thrown into the fire and two have been starting all year and the last time they had a freshman class like this was like in 2013 and it was also the uh, winniest senior class in program history so I mean this 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 team is destined for history and greatness at Florida State and um, I mean yeah it'd be awesome if they could always capitalize on on other people's mistakes but they're already accomplishing feats that no one could have ever expected from from freshmen that are just I think what is it? The entire lineup is different than it was last year. Starting oh, lineup, enti- yeah. yeah. We, uh, so, yeah, Florida huge. State losing a lot of senior power, but still, as you said, mm-hmm. doing some amazing things in a cor- in courts across the ACC. And for you, Brett, they- they're coming up. They're play- We they have a rivalry matchup this Sunday against the number fourteen team in the country in Miami. And I'm just curious, how, where where do you see this team? How do you see them learning from this past week and taking that in, into Miami? Yeah, you know, back-to-back wins was something this team hadn't had to deal with at all so far this season until they went at Notre Dame and then at Clemson. At Clemson, um, but they were able to step it up against Pitt on the weekend, uh, pick up a big win, like we said, 30-plus point victory. Um, to, so to go at Miami, I think it's going to be a real measuring stick for this team and where they're at heading into the postseason ACC tournament, NCAA tournament. Um, I, I think it's gonna be real interesting. Uh, I think they've got just as good a chance as anybody to go uh, go down there and beat Miami this weekend. And Coral Gables, uh, I, I think this game is as much of a toss-up as it gets. Just if you take a look at the rest of the schedule for the Seminoles, anyways, you know you talk about the rivalry game against Miami, and then next they play number 18, currently uh, ranked number 18, Syracuse. And just taking a look at the schedule right now, Chris, I'm taking a, a long look and thinking about the prowess of those teams. That's about 
as good of an entrance into an ACC tournament and to an NCAA tournament as you could possibly have. Now, it's not, you know, facing the top teams in the entire country, mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely not, not facing any pushovers. So that's exactly what you want when you're going into a tournament-like atmosphere where every single game is going to be tough. So, you know, you talk about the importance of winning a, a game on the road against Miami, but I think just the fact that there, there are those two top 25 teams back-to-back, that's really just in favor of this team absolutely well no and, and you talk about being thrown into the fire i mean if anything this is a situation where they're where going into the acc tournament they're going to be coming out of the frying pan and into an even bigger fire trying to compete for that acc title um big stuff coming up for women's basketball i do want to move it over as we like to say here at florida state we are a softball school i think as as last year has shown well, quite, and, quite soccer. The, and soccer and soccer and soccer very very true both share the same complex yes absolutely something in the water if i'm not mistaken <laughs> they say they say that the the seminal soccer softball complex is undefeated mm. is is unconquered mm-hmm. which is great and move and, the statue over there <laughs> <laughs> and and softball sh- absolutely showed that prowess this past weekend at the saint petersburg uh clearwater invitational as they took on three top ten, not just top twenty-five, top ten teams in the country, uh, in in a huge tournament, if uh, they mercy ruled the number eight team in the country in LSU uh, with a score of nine to one, just an offensive showcase, outscoring opponents fifty-one to nineteen. Fifteen of their hits were home runs. That's several insane. it's it's insane that this this team this is a team to be afraid of <laughs> and honestly because I, I remember seeing uh the the polls i think it was the espn polls that had florida state ranked at number two and i'm pretty sure florida state went into this invitational saying all right bet <laughs> <laughs> let's go let's let's show the country and on national television let's show the country what this team is made of nick what is this team made of this team is made out of something that is not of this universe, Chris, no. because, I mean, if you were having any doubts about any regression for this softball team, it any doubts that you had were completely eliminated this weekend with the types of victories that they had. Uh, I'm not sure about the, the, the schedule of the other uh, top-ranking teams that were there, but just taking a look at Florida schedule, 7-4 victory against Oklahoma, Mercy ruling mm-hmm. LSU uh, 17-6, against Minnesota and then of course the game last night a 5 to 2 win uh which I think was probably their most impressive win even though they did mercy rule the number 18 yeah. in the country but still that was a game in which Megan King had I think a bases loaded situation and she, she worked her way out of it much thanks to a, a, a web gem of a catch by Danny Morgan oh I actually I, I texted Danny Morgan as soon as it happened and had, I, wait 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 you, wait, you have oh, Danny Morgan's number oh, okay well let me she's in she's in my ethics class Ethics. She's, well, no, okay, hold on. This was a congratulatory text. Hold on, I'm taking over my show. Together. I'm taking back over it. You have Danny Morgan's number, and you're just this throwing is, it out just, oh, yeah, I just texted so, her after that happened. You're so blowing this out of proportion. Chris gives one chance to host the show. No, I gave her a huge congratulations. I'm sure she, her phone must have been blowing up. It Was on. It, was it a Sports Center top 10 play? Was it not? I mean that's I think that's I, I if if it, it was wasn't three? Okay. according to Luke Fay it was okay. the number three play Sports Encyclopedia Luke Fay says it was number three so uh, I think that's that's a I I would have thought it would be number one but 
you know, there was a lot of sports. Either way, weekend. very impressive catch. I mean, you know how hard it is to to as as a as a former outfielder to be able to rob a home run in such a pressured situation. If I'm not, if had that left the the park. It would have been a tie ball game last night. I, I don't know what's more shocking, the fact that she made the catch or the fact that you're a former outfielder, Chris. I, I, that's, that's that's some shock. Why is I'm glad you caught that, Brett, because I was thinking about that, too. Chris, you put the worst players in outfield. Oh, my God. Okay, well, primar- primarily a first and third baseman. But I, 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 t- I took some time in the outfield. Anyway, that, <laughs> why did this show turn on me? I have no clue. Where- I know. I'm still here for you, Chris. Thank you. Think this is you know we should really have cat on. <laughs> more often, more often. We should have cat host the show. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Perfect. This just in hosting next week's show is uh, will be Catherine Wright. Thank you for that. But anyway, bringing it back to this team, I, I think there's also a, a huge defensive uh, mentality to this. 19 runs in the span of six games. I mean, you're talking roughly three. You're you're giving up three runs a game, and I, I think that speaks a lot. Um, to just to the to the pitching staff on hand. Looking at Megan King's numbers, she she has a sub one uh, ERA, a .85 ERA. Catherine Sandercock, who is a, who was one of the highest highly who was a highly touted uh, pitching prospect coming into this season, has a sub two ERA. Just huge numbers coming out of this weekend. And and Brett, I'm just curious, like, should batters be afraid of the of this pitching rotation? Uh, oh yes, I mean Florida State softball made it look extremely easy this weekend but you know let's let's not be confused here this was not easy they were playing some of the top teams in the nation mm-hmm. i think it's really clear that lonnie alameda's girls are ready to defend their national championship this mm-hmm. year uh they are very clearly the number one team in the country and yes opposing lineups should be very scared <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and nick it's interesting you 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 talked about um the other top looking at the schedules of the other top teams um the only team that was ranked above Florida State was UCLA, mm-hmm. and and UCLA hasn't played any top ten, any top twenty five teams this, thus far. So, regardless, I think the consensus is Florida State softball, extremely extremely strong showing, and I think they showed the country, uh, just what they're made of. And with that, we're going to take a brief break over here on Tomahawk Talk. Tyler Phillips has your seminal segment, a time honored tradition here on the show, and on the on the other side. Uh, we're talking Seminole baseball and some MLB talk. My my specialty. I'm very excited. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. The ocean's deep. She knew that much before she had just
Thanks, Chris. This is Tyler Phillips with your time-honored tradition of Seminole segment. The Florida State Seminoles have had a great weekend for sports, getting a combined 14 wins in five different sports. Baseball and softball won a combined 10 games, women's tennis got a big win over the 15th-ranked Hurricanes, and men and women's basketball won both of their games. However, one of the biggest accomplishments for the school this week came on Tuesday when they defended their Mobile Mobile Golf Championship Tournament. On day one of the tournament, sophomore Jonathan Pack led the Seminoles, scoring 11 under par. Pack's 63 in the second round is tied for the fourth lowest single round score in program history. Pack also scored 62 in the fall of 2018, which is tied for the second lowest in Seminole history, only surpassed by a 61 score by golf alumni Carl DeSarce in 1967. Pack ended up with winning an individual title, which is his fourth on the year. Behind Pack's performance, the Seminoles would take a five-stroke lead as a team into day two, with FSU at 23-under and Louisville at 18-under. Day two would eventually get rained out, and the Seminoles would win back-to-back championships in the spring for the past two years. FSU head coach Trey Jones said, I'm proud of the guys for a great round yesterday in the afternoon. Unfortunately, we were disappointed we weren't able to play all 54 holes, and we didn't get to play in some weather. Either way, that's the hand we were dealt, but I'm glad we've gotten off to a good start in the spring. Pack and the Seminoles will attempt to win three consecutive tournaments for the first time since winning four straight in 2015. The next tournament is in Tallahassee at the Golden Eagles Country Club on February 23rd and 24th, where Pack and the Seminoles will look to defend yet another championship from last year. The Seminoles will play host to 14 teams that include Jacksonville, James Madison, Louisville, Illinois State, Cincinnati, Kansas State, Princeton, West Virginia, Wake Forest, Kentucky, Nicholas State, Troy, and Moorhead State. In women's tennis, the Seminoles dominated at home, defeating the number 15 Miami Hurricanes and the unranked Florida A&M Rattlers. In Game 1 on Saturday, the Knolls started off rough, losing their first doubles points of the season. Senior Julia Mikowski and junior Andrea Garcia were the first doubles loss of the day, losing at a score of 6-0. The Knolls tied the doubles points up at 6-3 with a win on court 3. Miami then bounced back to take court one and a 6-4 win. Despite losing ground in doubles, the Knolls bounced back and dominated their in-state rivals, taking five of six of the first sets in single play. The rain started and the Knolls and Hurricanes were forced indoors. From there, the Knolls would take four points in singles, giving them a 4-1 lead on the day. Eventually, the Knolls would take a 5-1 lead before Opernovic lost to the number four player in the country, Estelle Perez, on court one. The Knolls finished the day with a 5-2 win over the Hurricanes. FSU head coach Jennifer Hyde said, Today was a really good day for us. We started a little slow in doubles. We were not executing the way we could have, and we were playing a little hesitant, and that was the difference for sure. In Game 2 of Saturday's doubleheader, the Knolls faced in-town rival FAMU. The Knolls took care of business in doubles, this time winning Court 1 and 3. FSU took the first five sets and turned them into three single wins. FSU would go on to win 4-1. The number 20 Lady Knolls take on the number 24 Lady Gators tomorrow in Gainesville, then come back home on Saturday against the number 4 Duke Blue Devils. The Lady Knolls are 8-1 in regular play and 1-0 in the ACC. 
This concludes your Seminole segment. My name is Tyler Phillips. Now back over to Chris and Nick with Tomahawk Talk. Tyler Phillips, ladies and gentlemen, with your Seminole segment, the time-honored tradition here on Tomahawk Talk. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy to have you here. On this side of the show, we're talking Seminole baseball, as I mentioned, and what a weekend it was. A lot of emotions, four very different games. 15 hours worth. 15 hours you worth of baseball. You were blessed to watch 15 hours yes. of baseball this weekend. How Nick. dare you not appreciate that, Nick? Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe you should uh, text Danny Morgan about it. Ooh, well, that's softball. So <coughs> so anyways. Different sports. Yeah. I'm not going to complain different. about that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> not complaining. For the last time in his career, number 11, Mike Martin. Stepped out onto the onto the field that bears his name, and all and swept a team, <laughs> swept a team in Maine. Uh, I'm sorry, against Maine. It was again, as I mentioned, a very emotional weekend. But there was a lot of good stuff that came out of it. Uh, on Friday, history was made in that in, in, in for the first time in Eleven's career, he opened the season with a no hitter, a combined no hitter. Uh, he talked about how Chris Chavez was in the dugout with him. Uh, was in the was in the dugout with the team, I should say, um, and Chris Chavez was the last player for Florida State to throw a no hitter. It, it, it was just it was it was a great environment to be around. Nick, I'm just curious what what after 15 hours of baseball, what did you take away? This team, uh, well, I think the biggest questions heading into this weekend were one, how is the back end of the rotation going to look? Because of you know Kyle McMullen uh, was lost this season to uh, surgery to repair his torn labrum. And that, you know, we could talk about that a little bit later. But another part of it was, okay, so how are the young players going to perform this weekend? And, you know, you take a look at the no-hitter on, on Friday night. You take a look at how well these young players, especially Robbie Martin, you know, nine, uh, five RBIs in his first game as a seminal, nine on the weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, you just take a look at everything, and everybody just played so well for an opening weekend nonetheless. It, it was really just exciting to watch as much as as much as i joke about you know the time that i spent there all of it was exciting it, it was really something to watch and you know mike martin was saying you know he never thought he would be talking to us about a, a no hitter on opening day you know he never thought uh that that was going to be a possibility and i don't know if, if anybody believes in omens or not i don't know how you could see that as a as a bad as a bad omen it's, it's a great way to start the season i'll tell you that much brett you and i were talking about, if I'm not mistaken, you said every batter that had, was it two plate appearances? More, yeah, more than one plate More than one plate appearance. Drew a walk this weekend. Drew a which walk. Which is just an, insta an insane statistic. I mean, the, the main pitchers uh, had, a, had a bit of a rough weekend. Could not find <laughs> the strike zone consistently. Uh, but, yeah, every, everyone was getting on base. And uh, it did limit some of the true at-bats for some of the guys in the middle of the Seminoles order, including uh, Reese Albert and Drew Mendoza, who drew a combined eight walks on the weekend. Um, but, but, but they were also able to pick up their hits. And a ton of offense for the Seminoles this weekend. ton of offense. And, and, and we're talking about th uh, the first three games, at least, were three very different games, as I mentioned before. You, you, start, you start the weekend off with a no-hitter. The next game... You outscore your opponent 16-3, to if I'm not mistaken, an absolute mm -hmm. offensive route. And then the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday is a come-from-behind walk-off victory. Cat, what what is the what does this say? You've got you've got defensive dominance, offensive dominance, and resilience, and and meaning the ability to overcome challenges. What does that say for a team this early on? 
Well, it kind of resembles. I don't want to. I don't want to make too much of a comparison, but it kind of resembles the women's basketball and them being such a young freshman team. Um, Elijah Cabell is a good example. He started the first game. He went. Uh, I think he. It was wa- over, he, he was over four. Yeah, with he a struck out three outs. times yeah. and then was hit by a pitch twice. He was right. getting an earful from Mike Martin Jr. on the base pass. He did pick <laughs> well, up as, two stolen bases, but he he was struggling out there well, a little bit. As he should. Um, <laughs> And then, and then he came back and hit a home run the next day. Um, was more patient at the at the plate. Um, I mean, I I think that they have a lot of learning to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great that Parrish was able to start out the season so dominantly. I know last year Tyler Holton, I mean, it was a season-ending elbow injury the first game of the of the season, so that was really devastating. So for for them to be able to start it out with a no hitter. Um, for the game to end 11-0 for the num- mm-hmm. their ra- number 11 ranked Florida State Seminoles, um, you know, and they came out with a sweep. So talk it was about dominant. and number 11, Mike Martin. Yeah, that's yeah, that, oh my lord. <laughs> the <laughs> metaphors are endless. <laughs> Needless to say, but I mean, uh, ta- speaking to more so on on the pitching side of things. Uh, we've seen the starters. Solve, they they've done well, with the exception of maybe an Austin Pollock, who, if I'm not, he's got a 12 plus ERA. Did not look great for him in the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday. However, uh, what concerns me more so is the is the back side of the pitching staff, meaning the the bullpen. Um, guys like Jonas Scalaro, who are who are being put in these tough situations, or, or they're they're finding that difficult. And, and Scalaro had troubles last year as well in these tough situations. So I'm curious. Who, who did we see, again, it's it's real early, but who did we see maybe struggle and who can we see as maybe uh, a, a real staple to the bullpen? Well, I think uh, Antonio Velez is one to look at. Lefty uh, transfer out of Hillsborough Community College. I actually got the chance to uh, face him in high school. He struck me out pretty easily um, and, and he he was pitching with, with, with similar ease this weekend against Maine. Uh, it'll be really exciting to see uh, how 11 uses him out of the bullpen. I think he's going to play a similar role that as Jonas Scalaro did last year coming out of the bullpen, kind of mixing it up. You know, you got a hard-throwing righty, then you shift, you know, you move over to a more of a shifty left-hander. Um, I think I think Scalaro struggled a little bit on the weekend. He took 34 pitches to get out of his only inning. Um, gave up a run, but I, I, I think I think this Florida State pitching staff is deep. They've got plenty of options. Uh, you know, it, it'll just be a matter of how consistent can uh, can those guys in the back end get. All right. And Kat, who do you see as maybe somebody that that is? struggling and that you would like to see maybe step up a little more um i mean i think austin pollock is is a big red flag you know you want you want that sunday guy and you want someone that you can rely on and he's not really the guy you can rely on um jc flowers um he he did (laughs) he did really really well um this weekend but he tends to you know start the season pretty well and then kind of tapers off i understand the injuries have plagued him the past few years um, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of mental, there's a lot of, uh, there's a mental aspect to it. Um, and I think, I think, you know, moving him to the bullpen, a six out closer, I think that'll help boost his morale. You know, if he can get in some good innings, it could help his bat. It could be like a Shohei Otani kind of thing, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I know that's, that's a, yeah, that, yeah. But, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a reach, but you know, you never know. And, and he's, he's a junior, you know, mm-hmm. he's. He, he's running out of time to impress. So of, of JC and it's funny because you speak to, to the conf- putting confidence in his bat on Saturday. It was Saturday, right? When he no, 
Excuse me, it was Friday. It was Friday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the opening game, mm-hmm. and he launches a shot to center field. <laughs> and what was the word that 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 uh, Mike that Mike Martin gave him on the way in? Uh, I believe that word was wow. wow. That he, <laughs> he, Eleven said in his pro- press conference, he said he said when when um, when J C Flowers came back to the dugout, I said something to him that I haven't said mm-hmm. his entire career, and that was wow. I mean, it really was. Yeah. It, it, that was his first home run since 2017. You go a year without hitting a home run. He's been up and down at the plate. I think it's it's absolutely a great start. Um, to the season, an interesting comp in in, in, in Shohei Otani. That I like it though. Uh, you it's like bold. it? <laughs> Rook of the year. Rook of the year. Interesting. Well, and and, and you know I I, I do want to speak to the youth and the it, it's interesting to see the way that this lineup was constructed this past weekend. You had three back to back freshmen. If I'm not mistaken, it was it was Elijah Cabell who started it off. Meaning in in that three man set, it would it went Elijah Cabell. Uh, Robbie Martin and Nando DeSantis. Na- no, no, no. He he wasn't immediately after. Oh, oh, in the lineup. In the lineup. Okay, we also had uh, Matthew Nelson catching. Matthew Nelson was uh, another freshman in there. Absolutely, and, and there those are three freshmen whose bats. Well, <laughs> um, Elijah Cabell not so much in the first game. He did have a home run yeah. on Saturday, which was great. Um, and you know that's that's really what Mart what uh, Eleven said happened in the off season. In, during the fall is, is is when they had that set of scrimmages. Elijah Cabell started off a little shaky, mm. but it, it's a matter of building, uh, building that confidence as the season is going to progress. So I'm curious what you guys think. What is what is the ceiling for these freshmen in this opening week? Well, if you're talking about Elijah Cabell and he, you know, he really shook off that that bad performance, you know, in just one game, and he really performed for the rest of the weekend. So you know, if he's having these types of games throughout the rest of the season. I mean, th- this guy is really talented. I mean, he's got an intimidating amount of power and speed. That combination is pretty rare. Um, you know, it's normally one or the other. I could, you know, obviously there's a couple of um, <laughs> exceptions to the rule, but I mean, he he stole second and third. I think it was in the first game on Friday night, mm-hmm. and then of course he hit his home run uh, on Saturday, and he had a couple of other near moon shots uh, that that were really impressive, and I mean, what can what more can you say about Robbie Martin? Oh what he goodness. was able to do nine I RBIs, mean, we said n- nine RBIs, yeah. five in the opener alone, five, five in, in the, the opener. opener, and you just th- and think what Mike Martin said about him really speaks volumes about what kind of player that he is. He's a player with his chip on his shoulder. He was a player that I think in Mike Mike Martin's words, he was respected but not you know heavily recruited, and you know we're seeing obviously the fruits of a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. and. I take a look, and I'm just going through the freshman. And Nander DeSantis, he, you know, it was a little bit scary. He slid into second, looked like he might have had a bad wrist injury, but mm-hmm. he had a wedge gem of a play uh, out at shortstop. Or I believe he was at second base uh, in that particular day. But all of these freshmen really had something really, really strong and positive to take home. And the fact that they're playing this well this early, I mean, the ceiling is just, I, I, I don't know if there is one. I think if you want to look at the most complete player in this freshman clash, class, it's uh, Nander DeSantis. I mean, picking up five RBIs, hitting 364 on the weekend, and smooth as silk at shortstop the entire weekend. This guy is a five-tool player, someone that I think could have a really high ceiling. Uh, you know, you want to talk about someone that looks like a pro? Nander DeSantis looks like a pro for the Florida State Seminoles. Well, and that, that's what Eleven had to say about him as well at the, at the press conference on Friday was, was just – he said, I remember uh, the Salas made a huge play, I think after it ricocheted off of, I don't remember if it was still Drew Parrish or if it was off of Connor Grady's glove, but he just came in, like you said, smooth as silk, 
made uh, made the play at first to save the no hitter essentially, and Mike Martin just said that it was it was big league. That was a big league play from such a young guy. Very exciting stuff coming out uh, of Florida State baseball, Florida State softball, Florida State athletics in general looking real hot. And, except for football, this is coming from the Florida State beat. Somebody was on the Florida State beat. No, it's not oh, looking I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We can rewind the recording. <laughs> from the collegiate diamond to the professional diamond, we move on to my favorite topic: MLB baseball. Today, the uh, the players for all thirty teams reported to their respective spring uh, spring training facilities. I am so excited. It, that it's mean, the best time of the year. It's the yeah. best time of the year. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> Nick, not as enthusiastic. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, Brett, you and I, we're, we're talking. This is like a, what, what is it? it it's, it's like a New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. It's oh, like a New Year's every, Day. Everyone is at the same record. Everyone has their sights set on October. Uh, you know, not everyone will get there. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's uh, it's like Christmas morning for baseball fans. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm just, I'm so excited to see. Uh, I mean, of course, spring training games don't necessarily mean anything, um, but they do give you a good look at, at, at the invitees and, and who's coming up. Um, I remember last year I, I I made a gut comment on Tomahawk Talk that I thought Max Muncy was going to do some big things for the Dodgers, and sure enough, mm-hmm. look at him. He, oh, he Max <laughs> Max Muncy was... You're proud of that one. I am proud of that one. I'm not right, going to lie. That's one good take for Christian. That Ryan. is one good take <laughs> on this show. More shade. Listen, when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to baseball, I'd like to think I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> but what I did want to do, again, spring training doesn't necessarily hold any any value when it comes to the, to the regular season, and it's way too early to look at who's going to come out on top by the time October rolls around. But I do want to go around um, the league... And let's let's take our best shot. Let's take our best shot at who's going to come up top, at the, the top uh, um, in each division. So I want to start. Why don't we start with the American League? So, uh, we'll start with the AL East. Brett, who's coming out on top? Well, listen, I think I think this team has probably had the best offseason in all of baseball. Uh, the team that finished first in that division last year ended up going on to win the World Series, and uh, they didn't so really they didn't really get any better. And it, was, it was hard for them to get better, to be fair to them. But uh, the team I'm talking about right now that I think is going to come out on top in the AL East is the New York Yankees. As much as that pains me to say as a Rays fan, I got uh, you know the Yankees finishing in first. The, the Red Sox right behind them, and uh, the Rays will put in another good performance, uh, probably coming in third. Do they win more than 100 games? Yeah. The Rays? Easy. Oh, the Rays? No, the Rays will probably win like 85. 85. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cat. You you were nodding your head. I you was were shaking a, your head I was there. expecting the Rays. I was <laughs> expecting he has his Rays cap on. I'm going I'm to be fair. I'm going to be fair on the show. Okay. Well. Who you I got? respect that. Um, <laughs> I have the Red Sox. The Red Sox. Um, I think that there's a lot of momentum that comes with winning the World Series. I mean, obviously, it's hard to repeat, but it, enough to push it to win their their division once again. I think it. I think it's a no brainer. Um, you got Mookie Betts. I think he's gonna have an incredible season. Um, yeah, and they're pitching. I think it's. I, it's hard to get. It's hard to get by, um, especially if you see the Yankees as much as I do, and the Rays, and you know, I don't. I don't see those other teams getting pushing past them nick buddy who, who, who you got man i would have to say the red sox as well because i think one thing that you see with a lot of championship teams i say championship world series uh winning teams is that once that's once that that title is won the team kind of seems to dissipate or at least that's been the trend in the past three or four years i take a look at what the red sox have gotten back steven pierce immediately comes to mind he was a gigantic 
part of of their World Series win this past year. MVP. MVP. And, you know, just thinking about the weapons that they have, the Yankees have been, have been making a splash in free agency, as they are prone to do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all going to mesh together quickly or and, and as well as they think it is. So I take a look at what the Red Sox have retained, and I just really like them to win the AL East, AL East uh, this year. I don't think as much as we've got a bunch of Ray fans in the, in the studio – as much as they might <laughs> want to hear otherwise, uh, it's going to be a Boston division another year, I think. The AL East discussion on Tomahawk Talk will go down 3-1 to one because I have the Yankees taking the AL East. I I love what they've done. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Was it 2-2? Two 2-2 two? Two, two you split. Oh, I'm no, sorry. I, I had the Yankees I'm, as well. I, I, I heard you talking up the Red Sox, so I was I slipped my mind. But the Yankees, yes. I, I like what the, what the Yankees have done. In the offseason, the, the acquisitions that they've made, uh, of course, re-signing uh, Severino and Sabathia. I, I think, I believe, Sabathia is retiring after this, this season. Yeah, this will be his final season. Yeah, his good final season. It'll be a uh, good riddance. I'm kidding. He's a great pitcher, but he's just been plaguing the Rays for forever. <laughs> uh, but, yes, I, I see the Yankees coming out on top. American League East, it'll go down 2-2. Two and two. We'll move on to the AL Central. Uh, Indians have typically been dominating, have been the, the dominant team the past few years. Brett, who you got? Yeah, th- this division is a snooze fest all the way around, except except for Cleveland, but, but they're losing some talent too. I think they'll they'll win the division easily. And as for spots two through four or two through five, rather, uh, it's it could go anyway. I mean, uh, but a, bun- a bunch of a bunch of mediocre teams fill out the rest of the AL Central, but I got Cleveland, Cleveland big. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I have Cleveland, too. Um, for the Twins, yeah, I think they'll come in second. Um, they've made a few extensions um, and uh, with their bullpen, um, So, I, I, but I don't think it'll be enough to take over. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the trend and say the, the Indians as well. They are losing some talent. They are going to be a little bit worse off than they have. But, again, uh, there's still a lot of free agents out there. I think, you know, I think somebody needs to help back up Corey Kluber <laughs> um, because he's been, he's been soloing it. And Trevor Bauer has had his, his moments here or there. I think of a guy like Dallas Keuchel, if you get him and you bring him in, that's going to really bolster that, that rotation. But sure. I think with or without Keuchel or a player like him, and no matter where it is on the, on the baseball diamond, I think the Indians still have this division. Give me the royal. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think this one goes goes down unanimous. Uh, the Indians just. I, however, I am curious if we think it, should the White Sox acquire either a Machado or a Harper. Does that change anything? I personally don't think it does, but no. I think it's an interesting. They, they could make a run at a wild card, maybe be one of maybe. those teams in contention, but they're they're still not. They're still no match for the Indians, who've got the likes of Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez on their team. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think one player. Uh, I mean, Bryce could lift them over any of these guys. I mean, I think Machado, uh, I don't, I'm very negative on Machado. Um, A lot of people are. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) with Harper, you know, his first half was so rough. So that that would always frighten me a little bit, but I would still give him the, I would give him what he wanted. Anyway, that's a different take. Fair enough. All right, (laughs) moving on to the AL West where things shake up a little bit more so, but. I think I know who my champion is, but Brett, who you got? Yeah, again, I think this one's going to be pretty easily uh, in favor of the Houston Astros. I do have I do have one team that I think is going to have a really great year and take a second place, and that's the Los Angeles Angels. I think they've built together a pretty good team. I think Mike Trout's set for a for a career year. Um, so I got the uh, Houston winning the division easy, and the Angels coming in second and making push for one of those wild card spots. Um, I like the Oakland A's. 
Um, I, I, I don't know. It, they, their, their time last season, their season last season was very reminiscent of what the Braves kind of did. They were ahead mm-hmm. of schedule. Um, I think that they can work on that. I think Billy Bean will continue to put that team together, and I think they'll, 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 they'll get better as the season goes on. Um, and especially with you know the opener, and they're the other team that that took on that role. And I think. I don't know. I'm pretty negative on the whole idea of the uh, the strategy of it. We can but talk after the show. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, I think the A's could do it. The Okay. I'm going to keep it short because I know you want to get through all these divisions, Chris, and we're, we're getting a little low on time. But uh, this is an Astros division right now, but this is one of the divisions that I'm taking a look at and I'm extremely interested in watching because take a look at the – I think the Rangers, the Angels, and the Athletics are all going to be kind of vying for that, that spot right behind the Astros, and it's going to be an interesting division this year. Um, and, you know, as, as I've already said, there are a lot of free agents still at play. <laughs> if Tony Romo's uh, prediction comes true, <laughs> which, you know, I haven't doubted Tony Romo yet, uh, Bryce Harper is going to be a, a Texas Ranger. So <laughs> That'd be very interesting to see that happen. But I think... folks, I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to give this one to the Astros as well. When you've got guys like Verlander, um, Garrett Cole coming back, I mean, just, just top-notch uh, pitchers. And, 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 of course, offensively, when you've got Jose Altuve coming back, it, it's just they're still a very dangerous team in the uh, in the West. We're running real low on time, so we're just going to blow through the National, uh, the National League. Right. Starting, right. <laughs> starting with the NL East. I know this is, this is Kat's favorite. So, Kat, why don't we start with you on this one? So, I think the Phillies are going to take it. Um, they have a very hostile environment over in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, the Braves, they only acquired Josh Donaldson. That's really much all they did although they do have a lot of returning people that are insane and including the national league rookie yeah yeah and their pitching prospects and their bullpen might be an issue and their fifth starter but um yeah i definitely think the phillies are gonna be it okay uh yeah give me give me the braves in first again this year brian snicker's got a great manager they got a great young core um and then another shock team in the national league i got the uh the mets coming in second and going to the wild card game interesting the Marlins are not going to be anywhere near the top <laughs> this year, Chris. No, I like the Braves to be coming first again. I don't think the Phillies are going to land Harper. That's just my personal opinion. That's my hot take. Uh, and even even though they do have a nice roster, I still like Atlanta's farm system. I still like mm-hmm. the pieces that they're returning. They haven't made that big of a splash in free agency. They did get Donaldson. Donaldson's still, I guess, on the downside of his prime. Uh, but he's still a valuable asset. So I think the Braves are going to come in first in the NL. And I'm going to agree with uh, with the Braves uh, for the reasons that both Brett and Nick mentioned. I, it, it, wow. I think the NL East is going to be the most dangerous uh, division yeah. coming into this season. Uh, moving on to the NL Central. Yeah, I think uh, the Brewers won this on a tiebreaker last year, and I think I think they're they're just good enough to yeah. to win it outright this year. The Cubs were a little bit stagnant this offseason. Uh, another team to watch out for in that division is the St. Louis Cardinals. Picked up Paul Goldschmidt over the offseason, mm-hmm. arguably one of the best hitters in the National League. So I think uh, Cardinals are a team to watch. But uh, give me the Brewers. Okay, well, let's just run through this. No, Brewers. no explanation. Brewers. Brewers? Uh, Brewers. Brew, uh, give me the Cubs. Sweet. Just throwing that Cubs in there. Cubs have been shaky. Nah, National League West. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to start this one. Let's go Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Dodgers. Yeah, give me the Dodgers. Uh, Dodgers, but I think the Padres are going to land Harper. Interesting. Okay. And with that, that's all the time we have tonight on Tomahawk Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it's been a pleasure for Kat, for Brett, and Nick. I'm Chris Camacho. You've been listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.